1: Welcome to the table where we discuss issues of God and culture. I'm Daryl Bach, Executive Director for Cultural Engagement at the Hendricks Center. And to my right is Bill Hendricks, Executive Director for Christian Leadership at the Hendricks Center. And to my left is Gordon Johnson, who is uh, a professor of Old Testament studies here at Dallas Theological Seminary. So we are trying something today, and the topic is faith and work. We're going to try and do some academic stuff and some practical stuff all in one fell swoop, and we may need some prayer (laughs) in the midst of this, but we'll see how it goes. Let me start off uh, by, by introducing kind of the premise of what we're dealing with. We have talked a lot in many of these podcasts about how Christians shouldn't divide up their lives, that there isn't the righteous and sacred and secular, but that Our faith and our work belong together, they belong connected. And uh, Bill's been a part of the faith and work movement for a long time, and Gordon today is just along for the ride, okay? We've got him in here to talk about some Old Testament passages that feed into thinking this way. And so we're asking him for his expertise, and we're also going to be asking him for his impressions about what we're talking about as someone who works with Scripture. And in some cases, we're going to be informing him about what we're asking him about, As we're doing it, so we're kind of doing a little experiment here and see how this. Because I'm coming in completely cold. Exactly right. You're coming in completely cold, and we hope you walk out red hot. (laughs) (laughs) He's a neutral witness. He's a neutral witness for the cause, which we sometimes do. We actually did this, a variation of this, at our last. at our last event, our last faith work event in Houston, we asked two of the professors at the extension in Houston to come and attend and be a part of it, and it was the fir- their first kind of direct involvement, and it was like an eye-opener for them. So we thought, well, let's see how this works in a podcast context. So I'm not promising anything, okay, but we'll see how this goes. So let's start off this way. Bill, why don't you talk a little bit about um, the history of your involvement with the faith and work movement. Where did this start? For me? Yeah, where did you catch
2: this bug? Probably from my dad. Okay. You know, Prof. uh, believed strongly in what at the time was called laymen, lay people. Mm -hmm. And uh, while he certainly had a passion to instruct uh, seminarians and prepare pastors and ministry leaders, he had a huge realization that it is the everyday Christian out there in the workplace who's actually living this stuff out, and what Ephesians 4 uh, calls them the saints, and they have a work of service. And, and the, the job of the pastors and teachers is to equip those people for their work. And so I grew up with that view, and, and it always made a lot of sense to me. That coupled with uh, the Colossians passage that talks about Christ as being Lord of all, if if Christ is Lord of all, that means all, and and that from the get go to me meant not just sort of church activities and spiritual categories, but the everyday things that people connect with in their life, including their work. And and uh, after I finished seminary, I. was doing some consulting in communication projects and uh, met Doug Sherman, who's a Dallas Seminary grad, and we began to join forces in a little organization called Career Impact Ministries. And then in 1988, Doug and I co-authored a book called Your Work Matters to God. And that was the thesis of the book, Mm -hmm. that everyday work is something that God is very interested in and all the implications of that. And that book uh, became, to some extent, standard reading for a lot of people. Who were interested in, you know, how does my faith relate to my work? And actually, stayed in print until about a year ago. And uh, so, our work no longer matters to God. <laughs> <laughs> well, I used to say that we needed to update the book. And uh, one of these days, I'm going to get around to writing a sequel called "Your Work Still Matters to God." <laughs>
1: there you so. go. That's, uh, well, that makes sense. So, so really, what what your dad was sensing, your dad's Howard Hendricks, of course, um, was sensing was kind of the frontline nature of of ministry and engagement and the application of the Christian life that was happening. Um, that was happening in the places where people spend the bulk of their adult life. Well, application is the key word. Dad always,
2: you know, he did his thesis on James. Mm -hmm. Let's not just be hearers of the word, let's be doers of the word. Mm -hmm. And what's so fascinating to me is that we are now right in the middle of a kind of a movement uh, in the faith and work movement, but in our culture where knowledge workers are very busy people and they're very practical people. And if they have something in their life that doesn't really make much difference in their day-to-day, they they kind of throw it away, mm-hmm. and particularly with millennials coming up. And that means that when we talk about integrating our faith into our day-to-day lives, that's a discipleship issue. Mm-hmm. But because so much of our lives are dominated by work, it ends up in a faith and work conversation to a large extent. And so what knowledge workers who happen to be believers want to know is how does this faith thing apply? To my work, the meaning of that work, the value of it, how I do it, where I do it, how I relate to my coworkers, so forth. So
1: we're not talking about um, how to do evangelism at work. That that's that's absolutely vital mm-hmm. and needs to happen. But that's
2: not why. That's not the main reason. Actually, why we're in the workplace. Mm-hmm. It's actually the work itself that matters. Mm-hmm. And for that, we go back to Genesis 1, and mm-hmm. I'm going to be interested to see what Gordon you know, has to say. But the very first words that God uh, says to human beings after he creates them have to do with their work, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, uh, rule it. And and the idea here is we're, we're supposed to make the world fruitful. Mm-hmm. You know, the world on its own is not very fruitful.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Like you're never going to stand next to a mountain of ore, iron ore and suddenly see a Mercedes-Benz pop out. No, I haven't
1: ever seen that. That's, no, that's mean, a good observation. No. I
2: mean, humans have to add value mm-hmm. to those raw resources and, and do something with them. Mm-hmm. To make the world flourish,
1: and the creative nature of that of that work of management and design is part of the way God actually has made us, and one of the ways we make the creation work. Exactly. Okay. Well, now Gordon, it's it's your turn to (laughs) be on the biographical hot seat. Um, uh, Tell us about uh, what now. My question for you is very different. What pulled you into Old Testament? What what turned
3: you into well, an old you know, Tesla person? It, it is interesting. Uh, it wasn't so much for career goals mm-hmm. in terms of, you know, what did I want to do to have, you know, a lot of money or have a nice That's living. That's that.
0: <laughs>
3: <laughs> it. It really was just the sheer delight. I mean, it's interesting that you, the point that you make. It was mm-hmm. the sheer delight of the joy of being able to open up the Hebrew Scriptures and, if you will, to, to get lost in the Hebrew Scriptures. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's, uh, it, it just does something to my soul and gives me joy. And when I wake up in the morning, I realize I get to be in Scripture today with people that love the Lord and act in a kind, professional way uh, with one another, and it's it's just a delight. Um, um, I'm really appreciative of people that are out working on the highways. And, Digging ditches and mm-hmm. and putting down concrete and things like that. I mean, they enable
1: a, you to get from they, one place to they another. Do. It's a
3: noble living. That's right. It's a noble living, and every single occupation is a noble living. But mm-hmm. there is it just I, I this is this is the way God hot wired me. Mm-hmm. Good to know that. Yeah, and it's one of these things. And Scripture talks about that. Whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might. It's exactly. what what your hand has been made to do, yes. and does naturally, and what it what what you find fulfillment in. And this was. You know, believe it or not, looking at these funny letters and, and scribbles, uh, this is what that are, Hebrew, what, text. That are Hebrew text. That Hebrew texts. This yeah. is what resonates with me. Interesting, know. huh?
1: Well, let's let's dive in here and and kind of get rolling. Let's talk about Genesis one a little bit. I don't think we can talk about this topic without taking a look at Genesis one. Now, it's interesting. This is going to be our second go at this because n- not very recently uh, or fairly recently, rather, had a conversation with Michael Thigpen, who teaches Old Testament at Talbot Biola about this very passage. So, so uh, it'll be interesting to see what insights uh, you give to us versus what he gave to us earlier. So I'm going to ask you to help us with the creation mandate in Genesis 1. What's going on? What's God saying about the task that he gives human beings uh, uh, to, to, re- to
3: reflect on and to mm-hmm. be as a result of his having created them? Well, the way I look at the text is that everything that God's doing, I mean, clearly the rest of Scripture talks about it's for his, for his glory, but as the text is unfolding, everything that God's doing is preparing the earth for man to be able to have a place to live, to mm-hmm. make space for man, and so that when he finally makes man, man's going to be able to survive and thrive in this situation. So he, he vegetates the land first, he, he puts the trees there so they're ready to go for man, he's got the animals there, everything's ready for man mm-hmm. when he gets on the scene. But um, it's there, you know, as as Bill made made point before, it's there in its potential. Mm -hmm. And he gives this command to be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, subdue the earth. Um, The way I read it, I don't read those commands, and this might surprise you. I'd be interested to see how you respond. Uh, I don't read those commands so much as imperatives that That we pass on to our children as if there's a command. I view them more as imperatives of endowment. Mm -hmm. That this, this is the kind of people that He's made us in creation. Mm -hmm. He said, "Let there be light," and there was light. I'm giving you the space and the capability to be this kind of person. That's right. That's right. And the kind of people I'm making you are people that are naturally going to multiply. Naturally, you fall in love. You naturally have a family. Uh, You're naturally going to have a task, and you're naturally going to be seeking a challenge, and you naturally want to have some success. Mm -hmm. And that's the kind of people that I make Mm -hmm. you to be. I like that. Yeah.
2: The idea is that work is not something you have to do. It's something you get to do. Yeah,
3: it's something you get to do. It's something that he's actually hotwired us to do from the very beginning. Right. And unfortunately,
2: obviously, all of us – are looking at this from within the the fall. Right. It's almost impossible for many people to imagine work as something they quote get to
1: do. Right.
2: They well,
3: and and what's you know, the, and the way the text gets laid out in n- not just in Genesis one, particularly in Genesis two, it's this garden mm. uh, or fruit orchard, whatever you want to have. Um, the picture in Genesis two is of a royal pleasure garden. In terms of the way that everything hmm. reads in the ancient Near East, kings of the ancient Near East would often have a pleasure garden. They would import trees and import plants and import all sorts of exotic animals. Hmm. Uh, and only kings could afford this and they would do it just for the sheer delight. and they would bring either the most expensive, the most exotic. Wow. And, and so it was it's more than a zoo, right okay But it was for a king and the, the text is, is presenting itself that this is what God is making for himself because he's going to stroll, in the cool of the day and enjoy this place, and what God did is he gave th- to Adam, and he's not a zookeeper, and he's not just a gardener, but he's the one that's in charge of this, and if he will, to enjoy this with God. Mm-hmm. So the picture, and in, in all of man's needs are going to be taken care of in the garden. He doesn't have to work in order to eat. The food is there for him. Right. Uh, rather, the task is there to enjoy this, to delight in this. Uh, it's something that uh, it, it's it's a pleasurable thing. It's not unlike some people like to garden in their backyard, and they turn their garden into in, in their backyard some, something that they can really enjoy. It's their oasis. Yeah, their oasis. Sometimes people, uh, the wives especially, will really go to work when you get a new house to 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 kind of nest into it to mm. make it your to own. Make the home your home. To make your home your own because yeah. you're making space. You're making it yours. Mm-hmm. And and sometimes we I think we miss. The benefit of doing that. So we just moved into a house, we don't make it our own, or we don't make the backyard someplace that we just enjoy in the cool of the day, at the end of the day, just to go there to enjoy and to, to recharge and yeah. to get the joy out of that. And that's really I think that's the picture that I see mm-hmm. in Genesis chapter two. Well let's let's take
1: a look at the passage and, and kind of break it down into its, its bits here, I'm in Genesis uh, chapter 1, verse 26, and my age requires me to do this, and, uh, and it says, then God said, let us make humankind in our image. Uh, reading from the NET. After our likeness, so they may rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air, the cattle over all the earth, over all the creatures that move on the earth. God created humankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. And it says, God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it, rule over the fish of the sea, the birds of the air, and every creature that moves on the ground. And then it goes on to talk about, you know, what he's offering them in the garden. But that's really the what's called the mandate. That's really the description of the task. So. Ye old Old Testament scholar, um, uh, what what's going on here? What are we being What are we being told? The task of humanity is before God.
3: It's it's you know it it, it is a bit difficult in terms of what does it mean to rule and subdue over this? Uh, how was how man supposed to rule and subdue over the fish, over the birds of the air? Uh, what does that mean? We normally think in terms of ruling and subduing in terms of some kind of non-compliant. Uh, uh, subordinate or some enemy that we have to conquer in terms mm-hmm. of sub- subdue, and I don't see any kind of conflict here. I don't see any kind of battle here. Yeah, because we're pre Genesis three. Is, yeah, pre Genesis three, and yep. this is, this is the fish of the sea and the birds of the air. Mm-hmm. Uh, my gut feeling on this is that it has to do with mirroring God's rule mm-hmm. and and being co-regent. He talks about uh, making uh, male and female uh, as as his image. And the Hebrew word selim has to do with a representative uh, image sometimes is used of a statue, statue that yep. looks like a person. It's mm-hmm. not that we look like God, but it. it it's in the ancient Near East people, uh, kings often made statues to represent them mm-hmm. uh, as a representative when they weren't, weren't there. Mm-hmm. And if you will, I the way I read the text is that man is representing God in, and that man is naturally going to uh, uh, rise up as the co-regent over creation. And we've done that
0: mm-hmm.
3: uh, over the over the course of history. Um, I think the 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 first way that this ended up getting fulfilled mm-hmm. was by domestication of the crops or mm-hmm. domestication of the flocks and cultivation of the crops. Mm-hmm. Uh, you get that in Genesis chapter two one of the first things God does is to have man till the ground mm-hmm. and name the animals and then in Genesis four. The first two folks we run into, one's a shepherd and one's a farmer.
1: So, so if I'm boiling this down, it's a, a full explanation. But if I were to boil this down and put it in one word, is it management or stewardship? We manage or steward the creation. We help give
3: it structure and organization and and make it run effectively and efficiently. I think so. Mm-hmm. And 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 if you will. Uh, and it's not so much in the sense of that God's making us gardeners or zookeepers. Right, it's right. It's not so much that, because he's really made the space for man. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it, it's, it, it's really for man as co-regent to be able to create an, an idyllic society mm-hmm. in which we take care of one another, which our needs are being met, where everything's copacetic, mm-hmm. uh, and that we're not exploiting the creation, but we're fitting into it.
2: Okay. Well, so, Gordon, earlier you used the word potential. Mm-hmm. Creation has this potential as a resource. And uh, from that standpoint, wouldn't Rule have the idea of it is the the right of humanity to unlock this potential? I think
3: so, yeah, if you will, kind of coaching it. Mm-hmm. Coaching yeah. it and teasing it into into its full potential.
2: Well, and that also has the idea of exploration and discovery. Mm-hmm. Look what we got here. Mm-hmm. What could we do with this? Mm-hmm. Well, we could take it that way. Hey, but we could also take it this way. And there's just like this unlimited
3: creativity. sense of
2: possibilities yes. and creativity yep. for what we could do with what all is
3: packed in here. See, and the irony is, unfortunately, too, and this is, I don't want this to be a political statement, but the irony is. Too many Christians are suspicious of science, yes. and suspicious of, of of these kind of things, and that's actually, you know, even even astronomy and the genetics programs, and things, and where they're where they're drilling down and trying to discover what's there. and Granted, uh, a, a non-Christian scientist is not going to see God's fingerprint in what he's what he's looking at, but I think he, you know we as Christians we could see, we could say. Well, he's seen God's footprints. Whether or not he knows God's the one that did that, right? And so, yeah, I I see this.
1: Let Let's go back to the to the image idea idea, because you talked about representation. How much of this is representation, and how much of it is designed to be reflection that we're supposed to be, not just. uh, a representative of God, but almost an imitator of God. How much of that is in the picture? the picture?
3: Absolutely. Because I mean one of the first one, – one of the tragic ironies is man's supposed to subdue and rule the earth, but he doesn't even end up ruling and subduing himself. Mm-hmm. He goes astray. So, part, so everything goes awry when you have sin in mm-hmm. this. And so part of ruling and subduing – and the reform tradition often talks about the cultural mandate coming out of Genesis 1, the mm-hmm. idea that – that we, uh, God is calling us to um, bring everything within our own personal domain into subjection to God and, 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 and into uh, 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 the, Lord, the glory of God by our influence, by pointing to Christ uh, in everything that we do uh, in terms of social justice, in terms of moral righteousness, how we live, how we impact society, how, how we're a neighbor, how we raise our family.
1: So, so imitation is a part of the picture I think so. and the image, and of course, the other interesting thing about the image is it's designed uh, relationally because we've got male and female. We don't just have we we just don't have one way of imaging, if I can say it that way. Um, so we've got this gender thing that's happening, and these and and the genders were created to together do this subduing that, that that this was a a mutually shared responsibility in which they were to uphold one another in the pursuit of of what it is that God has asked them to do
3: yeah and it's you know part of it may be the fact that we're not be, made to be alone i'm not quite sure that this was intentionally trying to reflect the trinity because then the question would be why why is there not three of them right 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 um, but uh, you know he's he's hotwired us in a way for relationship and even Ecclesiastes chapter four, I was just in that this morning, so this is why I'm going there. Uh, he's talking – in Ecclesiastes 4, it talks about work, mm-hmm. about having a balanced approach to work. You want to work hard, but you also need to play hard. Mm-hmm. And you want to work hard so that you have the fruit of your labor that you can enjoy your life with, but you also need to have somebody to enjoy your life with. Otherwise, why are you working so hard if, if you're not taking time mm-hmm. to enjoy your life?
1: Well, uh, th- this is a good good foundation to, to lay here. Uh, Bill, what I, what I see in this passage – in relationship to work and image, et cetera, is the idea then that that where God has us and places us, wherever that might be and whatever we might be doing, has a purpose and a direction as we help to manage. We're called upon actually to manage um, where God has us. Yes, and of course that opens up the whole area that
2: I my specialization is, which mm-hmm. is giftedness. Mm-hmm. That to each and every human, God has given a means by which to steward this creation and to add that value and so it becomes very important that people uh, find a means of of discovering well what is that for them mm-hmm. and and how has you know, god wired me to be a part
1: of this overall yes and, and
2: you gave us a great example earlier when yeah. you talked about i love to understand what these you know letters mean and you delight in that but the great thing is then that opens up a whole w- world of stuff for the rest of us who don't read Hebrew, mm-hmm. and and need folks like you to
1: exercise your giftedness. Yeah, so 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 we see this cooperate. This is very much a team operation. I yeah. mean, you know, right. there you've got a variety of, the, of people with a variety you of you different
3: need skills, all kinds
1: of gifts to make the world.
2: Through. Exactly right. And see,
3: I was at Barnes and Nobles not too long ago, and my wife, when when she was in college, she gave up pursuing med school to put me through seminary. Mm-hmm. And the idea was is that she was going to go to med school after I finished my THM. And then I said, well, I'd like to do a PhD. What do you think? <laughs> and you know, she started thinking about, well, we want to have kids, so maybe it'd be a good idea to be a mom. Well, after all these years now, and the kids are going off to college, and she's thinking, well, what about that now? Uh, and so she's going back. To, she's Seriously. starting her master's program oh, now. Cool. And there is something that's welling up in her soul because she was made to do this. Yes. And I saw a book in Barnes and Nobles not too long ago, and it said, you need to be the person you were made to be, born to be. You and go. I thought, because know, she was saying, should I do this? I said, well, you know,
0: So all that to say, yes. This episode is brought to you in part by Thomas Nelson, publisher of Grieve, Breathe, Receive. Finding a faith strong enough to hold us. Written and narrated by Pastor Steve Carter, Grieve, Breathe, Receive. Those three words became a profound mantra for Steve Carter during a season of deep healing, the kind that comes after painful trauma. Grieve, Breathe, Receive is available everywhere audiobooks are sold. Visit thomasnelson.com audio to learn more.
1: Uh, I'll I'll just mention in passing a passage that has always struck me because it seemed in one sense so odd, and yet in light of this it fits, and that is it's a passage in Exodus where we're going through the building of the tabernacle, and God actually takes the time in having Moses write this out. In
3: incredible detail.
1: In incredible detail to go through almost every role that someone is performing one at a time to build the tabernacle. Uh, It's like an illustration that I like to do that we've done on the podcast before about you know what does it take for you to have a bowl of Wheaties in the morning? And you think about whether you're talking about the grain or the milk or the bowl or the table or the house, you know, it takes a lot of people for you to sit down and have a bowl of Wheaties in the morning. And so, uh, you know, you build the tabernacle and we're talking about all these craftsmen, uh, all these people of different kinds of skills all working together. To build this house that will honor God. And it's really, in some ways, a wonderful metaphor of what the creation is supposed to be, you know, that we. That that it takes all these people working on their gifts in order in order to do this. So I so and I inevitably think about this passage when this topic comes up.
3: Well, and not only do you have all the laborers, but it also the text also talks about all the Israelites made contributions mm-hmm. to it. So even those that didn't work on it directly, they contributed to it in terms of the stuff that they had. They came out of Egypt with. Mm-hmm. And when you
2: roll forward to First Chronicles, there at the end, where. David is contemplating the temple, and he's not going to build it, but Solomon is. Mm-hmm. But it goes through all of the musicians mm-hmm. and the people that are going to serve and That's all these right. different
1: roles. So you got some people who build it and some people who make it work once it's built. Exactly. Yeah. And, yeah.
3: and we're talking about this. <laughs> we're on a roll. In, Ze- in Zechariah 6 of all places, <laughs> okay. 9 to 15, it talks about the new the new temple with Messiah, and he talks about those that are near and those that are far mm. are going to come, and they will all contribute together to build it. Those that were near were already in Jerusalem. Those that were far were still the exiles. Mm. And then the New Testament picks up on that temple imagery and, ta- and now applies it to the church, those that are near and those that are far that right. are doing the work now of Building this new temple. So.
1: Well, and since we're taking this journey, I guess we'll end up <laughs> in Revelation.
3: I was going to say, when we get to the end of the
1: Revelation, the whole thing is pictured as a huge temple. Mm-hmm. I mean, when we're right. all said and done. So so it, I, it's no accident, you know, that, that, that the picture of a variety of people who all do what God has gifted them to do in such a way that we end up with the crea- creation functioning. The way it's designed to function. Unfortunately, uh, the Bible doesn't go from Genesis one to the end of Revelation. There's stuff that happens in between. It's pretty messy, right. and and gums up the works. So, in um, uh, uh, in association with the idea of toiling. So um,
3: so what's going on there? How, what 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 happened to this design? That's great. So the way well, you set that up. So it, we mentioned before in Genesis 2, the, uh, the task given to Adam in the garden is pictured as this royal pleasure garden that's for God's enjoyment and for man's enjoyment, and it would be just a delight and everything that's there. It's just a delight, the whole the whole experience of everything.
1: The, it, I, and I, when you say that, I think about how the creation sometimes just overwhelms us. You go to certain parts of the creation, you know, whether it's the Rocky Mountains or the Blue Ridge Mountains. I happen to like the Asheville, North Carolina area, or you go to some of the coastlines that you see that the globe is able to display. I think South about Pacific, South Pacific's a great. I, I I've been to the coastline in Ireland or the coastline. Uh, that uh, between uh, Calais and where do you come to in the UK when you go from Calais to 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 uh, uh, to England and you no, land? Dunkirk. Uh, Dunkirk. No, I'm not thinking about Dunkirk. I'm thinking about uh, where the where the channel goes. But I, I'm England. lost. The thought of where it is. You're in England on the coast and Dover. Dover. And um, and you end up uh, with these magnificent vistas. And you and you watch it, or you see a beautiful sunset, and you go, "How marvelous!" See, mm-hmm. and I
3: think we for, we fail to do that. We just read the text, and we don't we we don't jump into it and see the picture. It's trying to surprise. Pr- pr- That's right. You've got these. You've got these four rivers that come out of the garden mm-hmm. and water the rest of the face of the earth. And at the end of at the end of. One one river, there's gold. Mm -hmm. At the end of another river, there's Mm cardillion. I mean, it's just this idyllic. I mean, Mm -hmm. I mean, you start trying to think about that, and then he talks about you know every you know every tree that was delight to the eye, and we pass over that because we're so interested in trying to mine out the theology of original sin Mm -hmm. that we sometimes miss the picture that was being presented there. At the where we started, we forget where we started. That's right.
1: And I, I I actually think. I actually think that that too much theology starts in Genesis three and forgets Absolutely. about Genesis mm-hmm. one and two. Absolutely. So, um, but
0: <laughs> we have we to get, we get
1: there. <laughs> we do get there. Yeah. We reluctantly yeah, exactly want to talk about right. sin exactly and death right. and everything. So, yeah. so, so,
3: so. Okay, Genesis three happens. We have sin, and how does that muck things up? So we get kicked out of the garden, um, and it, it's not that man had immortality from the beginning, and somehow our DNA was taken away. We were created from the dust. We were immortal, or we were mortal from the beginning. There was opportunity for immortality in God's presence, but because of sin, we get driven out, and so the natural death and decay and mortality takes over, and man is cast out. Now you're going to have, you're going to be on your own, mm-hmm. and it's not going to be easy out there. Mm-hmm. And man is cast away, and now man's going to have to fight. And Mm -hmm. so, rather than naturally subduing, now it's going to be a fight for survival. We're going to have to to eke out a living, and it's not going to cooperate. And the curse
1: that happens right after the sin—that is the consequence of the uh, rebellion—introduces this element of struggle and toil, uh, pushback, if you will, from the creation. It's hard. Yeah, it's
3: hard, and we forget about it because you know, in our society. Uh, we've 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 developed so much but you think through about a, a settler you know going into new territory and having to plow the dirt for himself and having to build his first home and having to eke all these things out and he has no running water and he has no electricity I mean it's difficult I mean people go camping sometimes and they they die and I mean there's a reason why we don't Live in the woods anymore? We're we we're, we're in in villages and towns. Yeah, and I mean,
1: if you've ever had to clear out a garden that's been left untended for a long period of time, what a mess and an effort that is! You you know what we're talking about. So we've got and this. it's not
3: easy. And what happens is because it's so hard, people have to compete with one another. Right. And so from the very beginning, you've got this tension between shepherds and farmers, and you've got tension and struggle. Because everybody's fighting for survival, and people end up starting to turn on one another. Because it's hard, mm-hmm. and you and there's a tendency to try to to, to be greedy and to, and to protect what you have and to want what they have, and it's it's the whole it's it's the well, whole and, basis. and
2: authority gets all messed up. So you have these power lines that start into play, and systems that you know protect the rights of some and
1: take advantage of others. Yeah, it's a I mean it's it's it, I mean obviously the whole story of the Old Testament is a pretty chaotic mess in some ways in terms of how what 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 our rebellion ends up producing that gets in the way of this very idyllic picture that we started off with. And yet, God still works through it. So there are other passages that talk about how we're supposed to view this even in the midst of the struggle. What do those passages do for us, and which pa- kinds yeah. of passage are we talking about? Well, if
3: we're looking in Genesis, we have God's, God's uh, offer of blessing, and, you know, the blessing is a happy life and, 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 and fru- fruitfulness and, and happy home and things like this. And so within redemption and relationship with God, this curse could get turned into a blessing, and things could be copacetic and peaceful and, and prosperous. Uh, uh, Isaiah 65 you know, we, we jump back mm-hmm. to the end, and Isaiah 65, when he talks about the new, the new Jerusalem, um, he, he, he does talk about the fact that there's still going to be work in the end, uh, but they're going to work and they're going to build houses, but people aren't going to take them away. They're going to plant vineyards, but people won't loot them. Uh, and he talks about there'll be enjoyment. You'll you'll work and you'll enjoy the work because you're not going to be working in futility. And, and so there's still labor from the very beginning. Even even in our, in our temple image mm-hmm. at the end, right? Mm-hmm. It's there's going to be labor there. We're not just going to be sitting around being bored. Like what are we going to do?
1: So I'm not going up and getting a white a white you know a choir cloth and playing a harp.
3: Yeah, I mean that's half the reason I think half the time people don't want to go to heaven. <laughs> they say if you, you know, <laughs> What gonna am gonna I going to do when heaven? I get What am I going to do there? I'm going to be bored. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, so, but one of the, one of I think one of the important set of passages on this is in Ecclesiastes. Mm-hmm. Uh, Ecclesiastes uh, balances uh, work and toil, and he talks about in Ecclesiastes chapter 9. Here's uh, one of the passages, I'll just read it, Ecclesiastes 9, and it goes along with what Bill was saying. Kohelet says, Go eat your food with joy and drink your wine with a happy heart because God's already approved your work. Uh, let your clothes be white don't spare precious ointment on your head enjoy life with your beloved wife all the days of your fleeting life that god has given you on the earth for that's your reward in this life and in your burdensome toil on the on the earth whatever your hand finds to do do it with all your might because there's neither work nor planning or knowledge or wisdom in sheol the place that you're eventually going to go now col doesn't have the hope of the resurrection yet mm-hmm. But uh, he, by he, Kohelet,
1: you mean Ecclesiastes, Ecclesiastes yeah. the yeah. Or, uh, yeah, yeah. the
3: author of, of Ecclesiastes. Uh, 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 but he talks about uh, uh, in, in God's blessing, uh, there's still work to do, and uh, God uh, can can give somebody uh, equips people with uh, with talent. And, you know, one of the keys is to – there's toil out there, but if you find the way that you're hotwired, mm-hmm. uh, it can be enjoyable and that you can throw it in with all your might and you enjoy it, and you mm-hmm. can enjoy the fruit of your labor and your toil. Now, the flip side
1: of this is, Bill, that, w- that we're uh, – you know, we've got these passages that talk about the toil and the labor and the giftedness, et cetera. But the point that the text is making is is that this work actually accomplishes something. It serves. It, Organizes it makes life a little more manageable, a little more pleasant. It gets us relating and working together with one another. At least it has the potential to do that. Sure,
2: and I think that's a part of common grace. Mm-hmm. I think part of the way God dispenses His grace into the world is through people using the gifts that He's given them. Mm-hmm. Uh, you mentioned earlier the the guy that's laying concrete or the person that's putting up a building. Mm-hmm. I mean, we're the beneficiaries in this studio of people who did that work. Mm-hmm. And, and, uh, and God uses all of human labor to accomplish these purposes because he wants to meet the needs of people. Every, every day, people get out on their knees and pray to God, oh, I have this need, that need. My own view is that 90 percent of the time when God meets needs, he does so through people who are gifted to the task. Uh, and so you're absolutely correct that, that this work that we, we do makes a contribution mm-hmm. to the world. And people can say, yeah, but it's, it's just a temporary or a temporal con- contribution. And, and I'm like, so what's wrong with that? Mm-hmm. Sure, the farmer's work is, is, has temporal value. I'm sure glad he does it because I sure need to eat. Yeah, some people work with things that we would say have more sort of e- eternal Significance or whatever, but but God is interested in significance
1: and value, regardless of whether it's yeah, time-bound I mean, or eternity bound. If the farmers stop milking the cow, we're in okay. trouble. <laughs> you know, right? We'd be in trouble. And so, so there is this. It, there's almost there's almost an element of dependent service that's involved here because we depend on the farmer milking the cow or the person, you know, um, uh, harvesting the fruit or or whatever in the in the service. Industry, I mean. I'm sitting here as we were talking, I'm thinking, we're in a room has lights, has all kinds of technical equipment in it that allows us to do what we're doing. There's been all kinds of creativity that's gone into the making of the computer so you can look up your text, the, all the wiring that goes into being able to broadcast this. We're in a room that's been designed by architects and have been built up by builders. We can sit here. We even don't have to worry about the temperature in here right. because someone's been creative that and out. figuring out how to do all that. And, and all And then there's all the logistical support people that make those... Businesses happen. You know, someone's got to keep the books. Somebody's got to finance it. Someone's got to finance it. Someone's got to communicate with the people who do their job so they can do their job. Someone's got to educate those people. Exactly right. Someone's
2: got to attend to their physical needs. And all of that matters. Right. All of it. Matters. All of it. All of it. And and well, we we didn't really get into it, but there in Genesis two, mm-hmm. back there, we 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 have to realize, you know, what is a human and a human is a soul-body unity. There's Mm -hmm. a material dimension and an immaterial dimension. Mm -hmm. And some of the work that God has given us to do has to do with the material, physical world, including the physical, material part of human beings. Some of it has to do with this immaterial, spiritual, soul part. Both are necessary because we are both a soul-body unity. Mm -hmm. And sometimes I think in uh, church circles, I guess you'd call it, um, we we lean away from the material side as if there's something wrong or not as important or w- somehow we 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 shouldn't pay much attention to that.
1: You know, there it's it's interesting because there is in Greek philosophy. <laughs> play a little New Testament now. Um, there is in Greek philosophy what's um, you know a philosophical movement called Platonism. Platonism right. is the idea that the real thing that really counts is the spiritual and the material is definitely an inferior level of the creation in one way or another. It's a poor model of the ideal. And I actually do think that we have some if I can say it this way, neoplatonism that sneaks into the church. And so we don't honor the physical nature of what it is that God has created. It's the passage in 1 Corinthians 6 where Paul says to the Corinthians, look, your body matters. It's going to be preserved along with your spirit and your soul. And and so what you do with your body really matters. The way in which you handle the physical items of the world and the physical gifts that God has given you, the physicality that he's given you, it all matters. And so um, there is this uh, I think you're right. There's this tendency to denigrate certain things because they're viewed as more mundane. But they're actually – I say to people, the Scripture in one sense is about figuring out a way how do we combine the cultural mandate or the cultural commission that we have in Genesis 1 with the great commission that we have in Matthew 28. How do you bring those two things together? I mean, if you don't see the spiritual value and the spiritual merit of what living the way God has designed you to live is. If you don't get that part, then there's a disconnect. Mm. And, uh, and, and so and, – and I don't think we talk about it this near enough. I mean, we talk about a whole lot of other things. See, and
3: what and the point that you made about uh, what we do, it's, it's not – I mean, clearly what we do for eternity matters. Mm-hmm. But this idea, this disconnect that anything that's physical and material and temporal doesn't matter. Uh, you know, you backed me in, actually, the passage I wanted to go to a little bit, and actually a better introduction. In Ecclesiastes 2, Kohelet, the author, he calls himself Kohelet, mm-hmm. he makes the point, he says, ultimately that's true. He, he talks about building houses, planting vineyards, ro- making royal gardens, planting all sorts of trees, and pools of water, and irrigating, and all of this You're stuff. back to a
2: pleasure garden. Yeah, yeah. the
3: pleasure garden, yeah. yeah. And he makes the point, he says, ultimately, yes, it ultimately, in in light of eternity, it's it's hevel. It 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 is meaningless in light of eternity. But, but. he still says, he still says, uh, I didn't hold my m- back myself from doing any of these things. I and he says, I experienced joy in my labor, and this was my reward for all my hard work, and this was the gift of God. So it was in during the course of his life, it was good. It was it was enjoyable. It was beneficial. This was God's gift hmm. and his reward in this life. And he recognizes at death I'm gonna lose it all so ultimately it was futile in terms of eternity but it was still something that was good for me to do it was my it, it was the task that God gave me to do it gave me joy It gave me opportunity to worship God and to thank God this is what he and we make this dichotomy we often think that if something's old, eternally futile then it's got no value and he says no the same thing can be beneficial in the here and now it might not be eternally significant You know, in the in the long run, but it it is good now to be enjoyed. So let me throw a devil's advocate question in here.
1: Okay, good, because I'm
2: going the same direction, maybe. Go ahead. But
3: you you could argue though, if it's good now, then it's it, it, it gives you opportunity then to be eternally significant as well.
2: Well, I can hear someone out here saying this just sounds like kind of a new kind of a prosperity gospel. Like we should just set this up so all we do is enjoy life and and seek to be rich. And yeah, maybe it doesn't matter in eternity, but the Bible says that's a good thing to do.
3: That's a good point, and Kohelet ends up saying that the only way you can have enjoyment of life is if it's you fear, fear God, God, please God, right. and that's, that's right. where he ends up going. He says to the one that fears God, the one that pleases him, God gives the ability and skill to work hard and to enjoy life, but to the person that's a sinner, he gives the task of gathering and collecting only to give it away. Mm so he wants us God's gift is for us to be able to enjoy life hmm. but the only way we can do that is if we fear God and keep his commandments
1: follow his commandments and and, and part of that activity of fearing God is actually to participate in the creation that he's given us well right. and that and, and that's what I think we sometimes miss is that we 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 we, we created it just in the world of ideas or we created it in the world of how I think about things and that kind of thing. But actually, what – Genesis is very down to earth. It's very dusty, if I can mm-hmm. say it that way, on mm-hmm. purpose. And it's dusty in the sense that you, you – you, we've been designed because we reflect the creativity and the energy and the relational dimensions of God to inject that in a healthy way in the creation. That's what we're called to do and to be. That's how we're supposed to live. And and even people who don't know God are still given these these capabilities of being able to help people get there to some degree because, because that's the image
3: of God at work in us. And they may be living up to their God-given potential without recognizing exactly that that's where right. It's that's from. the common that's, grace exactly. idea.
1: Exactly. So it's 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 an interesting way to think about things. Okay, Gordon. Now this is kind of you know we said we were kind of baptizing you in this conversation. <laughs> if I can <laughs> use another image, uh, uh, what? What's the drenching
3: been like? I mean, you know. <laughs> this is great. Uh, yeah. It, well, this whole thing is making me think I need to go home now. I want to go home now and work in my backyard. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, I'm not sure we're driving just for that application.
3: <laughs> but, uh, yeah. But, you know, Bill's point, if yeah. we follow up on this, the, the, this, this false dichotomy between the secular and the spiritual. Uh, we've got three kids. Mm-hmm. A lot of a lot of people assume, well, you must be teaching your kids Greek and Hebrew, and you're training them to go <laughs> be Bible professors and things like that. It's mm-hmm. like, no. It's like, what? Well, if they want to learn Greek and Hebrew, that's fine. I'm not pushing that on them. Mm-hmm. My daughter wants to be a clinical psychologist to help people. To she's help.
1: been around you a long time. She, huh? yeah, she's, uh, yeah. There must be a lot of people. That,
3: yeah. She wants to help people that are in need. My son yeah. wants to become a defense attorney. Uh-huh. To help people. Uh, my younger son still wants to make a living playing video games.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's
2: early for
3: him. It's a little early He'll for him. He'll
1: figure That's it out. Right. Yeah. He'll figure it out. Yeah. I, I love telling this story. My, my son uh, is in sports law, and, uh, and he's done a lot of Title IX work. Uh, one of the first things he did when he first got a job was to do Title IX work for a university protecting the abuse of women that that law calls for in helping universities know how to react when things go bad. And I, at one point when he was all done with this, I turned to him and I said, what a wonderful use mm-hmm. of the legal skills you've learned. I was proud as could be of him because he had taken something that people use in a wide variety of ways and he had actually thought about how do I make this work in a way that really is of a terrific benefit to people. Promoting social justice. Exactly right. And I'm sitting here going, I couldn't do that, you know. And he took years of training to do that. He had all kinds of choices with what he could do with it. And that's how he chose to use the skill. And and I'm sitting here going, that that's nice. And I and, and I think there's that that's a little cameo of what's possible when we think about our work in a healthy way, and we wed it to service, and we wed it to being made in the image of God, and we think about you know the way I do my work, no matter what it is, does matter because it does make life better for some people in some ways. Well, we're going to have to come back and do another podcast at some point
2: because. Um, there are many many millions of people around the world for whom their options are so limited exactly that this conversation itself
1: seems like an impossibility that's right i think that's fair there's a whole faith and work dimension in fact the faith and work movement as a whole is wrestling with well it sounds wonderful if you're in control of your business well, what but if what if you about have no options exactly right the, the rice farmer in north korea exactly right so and there there is the whole issue of what we might call an exalted theology of the mundane Mm-hmm. And uh, and and I think that that is uh, also a very very important discussion, well, Gordon. I thank you for coming in and helping us uh, kind of take a look at the Old Testament, what it has to offer. And Bill, you're coming in and being a part of us. We're glad you were a part of the Table Podcast today, and we hope you'll be back again with us really soon.
0: Thanks for listening to the Table Podcast. For more podcasts like this one, visit dts.edu/slash/the-table. Dallas Theological Seminary. Teach truth. Love well. This episode was brought to you in part by just these guys, you know? A pastor and a psychologist team up to break down scripture and psychology, empowering you to transform by the renewing of your mind. Listen today at justtheseguys.podbean.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Just these guys, you know?